Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. And welcome back to season 10 of Better Words. Um, you know, we can't believe it, yada, yada, all that stuff that we always say. <laughs> welcome yeah, back. Yeah, just like a repeat of, you know, seasons 9, 8, 7, 6, like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I can't believe it. 10 is a, a very big round number though. So yeah, it sounds kind of nice. crazy. Yeah, but it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and just before we dive into our recommendations, um, I'll share again that we have started a monthly Substack. Um, and being Substack as well, if you've not subscribed until like now, you can go back and see all the past editions on the Substack app and on like the desktop. So I will link that in the show notes. Um, we add two recommendations for what to read, what to watch, what to listen to and something else that we've been loving. So, you know, there might be some crossover recommendations sometimes, but it will mean that you get even more, like, media to consume from us. (laughs) And it's just a cool place to hang out. Like, even today I shared um, a Substack publication, I guess you'd call it, um, that I had subscribed to that was about long-distance friendship, and I, like, shared it with Caitlin, and I really enjoy the fact that, like not to be all like promoing Substack, but you can get it in your inbox, but you can also share it and do all those cool things as well. So yeah, come hang out with us on Substack. Um, we put it out the edition like every last day of every month. Yes, on um, the last day of every month. So, so yeah. far we've done January and February, um, yep. but gosh, before too long, the, the March one will be there. So Literally, rush if to you subscribe, are listening to this everyone. now, you'll be able to <laughs> subscribe for March. Um, but as I say, the cool thing is that you can go back and look at all the old ones as well, which yeah. I really appreciate. It's not just off into the ether. It's there um, for as long as we keep it there. So, yeah, that's a fun little thing. Um, Caitlin, do you want to start with the recommendations today? I do, because uh, in a completely... <laughs> ridiculous fashion we're starting off on our first episode of season 10 with our first recommendation and it's not a book or anything it is an activity <laughs> it's book adjacent it's book adjacent because as people will hear into this interview with leanne we hear all about leanne's job as an escape room architect i think is the term and after we'd interviewed leanne michelle Uh, came to Sydney to visit me and we went to Ed Sheeran and the Mardi Gras parade and everything and we also went to Next Level Escape which Leanne co-owns and we did two escape rooms in one night and it was so much fun and I actually the first one I was like I'm shit at this I'm not I'm not good at puzzles I'd be a terrible detective can't do it and then in the second one I was like oh no I'm good at this like I would solve it (laughs) I think it is about the mode of thinking as well. And yeah. I think this about like we go to trivia every week. And when I first started going, I was like, I do not understand any of these questions. But I do sort of know his style now. And especially there's always like a third round of like brain teasers. And now that I know this host's style, 
it, she's just in the mode of thinking of what it is or looking for what the trick yeah. is and so yeah I it's do like think it how takes they used practice. to do at school it's like you've got to like learn the rules to take an exam or whatever like hmm. if you kind of know what they're looking for like you can learn the rules and escape rooms do seem a bit like that to me but um neither of us had ever done an escape room before um so it was very exciting and the first one that we did uh in Leon's studio next level escape I don't know if studio is the right word but anyway um it was called the show must go on uh which is the one that Leanne told us about in the interview in about what an hour's time for you yep. listener <laughs> um <laughs> Actually, and... I think I might have cut that bit out because it was us organising and being like, oh, let's go. <laughs> yes, we, had, we did a musical-themed room, which yes, is perfect well, for beginners, the way they yeah, designed absolutely. it. Yeah, absolutely. And if anyone knows anything about escape rooms, it was more linear and story-based. So there were, like, fun little puzzles and breaks and everything, but it was kind of through the story of the show which is uh Romeo and Juliet uh being performed and you're like the stage hands it was very fun but yeah there's not technically you're not technically trying to escape if that makes sense this might not make sense it's an if you've experience. never done an escape room yeah yeah um and you're not then, actually locked in the room <laughs> and it's not tough. no yeah like metaphorically or literally um <laughs> and then um we got to do a second room, which was so, so much fun. And this was more of like a, I guess, a traditional, like there was a timer. We had to solve the puzzles and like solve the puzzle to escape the room and like fix the problem. Um, and that room was called Ex Libre and it was all bookish themed. And so the idea of the room is that, oh, like bookish portals have been opened i'm sorry leanne i'm explaining these so badly um bookish portals have been opened and you have to like solve the puzzles in the different rooms to close the portals forever and escape and like fix the world or whatever <laughs> yes and the three books were really well-known ones. I don't want to spoil it for people, but they were very fun themes. Yes. Um, and, yeah, just outrageously fun. And I think I was just so proud of how we all worked as a team. Like, we – because we did it with some other friends as well. And, my God, we were a good team. We were. Leanne said so herself. <laughs> yes, exactly. Straight from the Game Master's mouth. Um, exactly. I actually thought that you were going to go with your other recommendation. Oh, well, no, I'm doing for... the joint one okay, first. Okay, you're doing the joint one first. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so this is, yeah. So it was a lot of fun. Um, if anyone likes, you know, if you like escape rooms or if you don't and you don't know and you've never done one before. If, like us, you're escape. a little bit nervous about what to expect. Absolutely. <laughs> then the show must go on was a great one to start with because it's super yeah. guided and... Yeah, yeah. Next Level Escape has rooms for beginners, bookish themed rooms, and they have others, which we did not do, even though we did two in one night. There are more. Yeah. So we can go back next time you come and visit and do another room. Yeah. And we'll, um, we'll like be totally transparent because we always say this about like books we're gifted and stuff like that. But like we paid for one room. Um, and then while we were there, Leanne very, very kindly let us do the second room. Um, but yeah, we'll just you know yes like to just 
disclose that stuff because we always let you know when we've been gifted books and stuff but she did not pay us to say this we just loved it no we just loved it and it was not planned (laughs) yeah no that we weren't like let us do another one I literally was just like oh it's such a shame I don't live here because I would love to do another one and she's like guys come and do it so Leanne is a legend um yeah thank you (laughs) yeah thanks Leanne and so Sydney Siders or anyone visiting Sydney can highly recommend next level escape it was so much fun i kind of wish i could do it again but now i i mean i probably would forget but like i think i would forget um or like halfway through i'd be like oh yeah now i remember what to do but i think it definitely um interesting to see different dynamics with different friend groups and stuff so yeah Yeah, um yeah no it was so much fun I'm so glad that we did it it was a great opportunity and just a nice dimension to the chat that we're about to have um with Leanne so yeah yeah absolutely um and so then on to I guess different recommendations um again I'm going with a bookish adjacent one uh because I'm very excited I went to the all about women in conversation uh with Jeanette McCurdy uh, who was interviewed by our favourite Rosie Waterland? <laughs> it was there for Rosie. No, you no, I was <laughs> thrilled. I mean, I'd already, I already had a ticket, but I was thrilled when I heard on Just the Gist that Rosie was going to be interviewing Jeanette because it, it was such a good fit, and I'm really glad that Rosie like pushed herself to do it because, like, being that kind of in conversation partner is not something she does ever or very often so it was the perfect pairing yes so but the reason I can recommend an event that was in the past was that (laughs) it was filmed and is available like to you can buy the live stream ticket still and watch it on the Sydney Opera House like website so if you will put a link in the show notes but if you search Sydney Opera House all about women uh multiple events are still available to stream um, I only went to the Jeanette McCurdy in conversation. Uh, I went with our friend Mel, a cozy reader, um, and we got burgers afterwards. It was delicious. That sounds so good. But also, but was... like, this is a book recommendation because, of course, Jeanette McCurdy was talking about her memoir, yeah. yes, Glad My Mom Died. If people have not, uh, you know, I'm sure. Yeah, if you haven't gotten it to now. it yet, uh, yeah, another extra bonus wreck. I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. Also, Rosie Waterland's books, just the gist, just like as a person, follow her on Instagram, recommend. Yeah, we love Rosie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely love Rosie. But yeah, The Anti-Cool Girl and Every Lie I've Ever Told um, are both her books and they are also brilliant. And I think when you read all three of those books, you'll see why. That's like why the they were perfect chosen. Yeah. conversation partner. It was um, so good. Well. And if anyone watches, you know, you'll see these great moments. Like there was one moment where Rosie sort of said something when she was asking a question and Jeanette was like, oh my God, really? We've got to talk more after this. Like, <laughs> it was excellent. And it was at the concert hall in the Sydney Opera House. If anyone's been in there, it is, I believe, the biggest like theatre um, wow. in the Opera House. It was huge. There was like 3,000 people there. I would say mostly women. <laughs> I Mostly young women. Like Mel and I were standing outside and we were like, yep, they're all like us. Like, this is the demo. And these, yeah. <laughs> these young yeah. bookish women, it was incredible to be in that room. But it would be, I almost want to buy it again and watch the live stream because <laughs> it was really good. 
Yeah. yeah. No, I'm so glad that they recorded it as well. I'm not sure how long they're going to leave that up there for, but when we were yes, researching I don't it, know. we saw it I don't have 30 days. So. Um, seems to be like you can rent it for 30 days. So there's no like limit said on there of when they're going to stop that. So hopefully it's just there and you can Yeah, hopefully it. it's up for the next couple of months at least and people yeah. have a chance to watch it if they want to. Yeah. Wonderful. So, um, I will give you my recommendation and then we will get to the An actual book this time? <laughs> Actually, no, it is a book in a shocking <laughs> turn of events. Um, yes, it is a book. Uh, so this one is one that has been everywhere in the UK, but nowhere in Australia. And I tried searching for this author's books everywhere in Sydney because um, I want to read her older books now but I could not find her anywhere but like honestly it is going insane in the UK and I'm pretty sure this book was picked for a Reese's book club um, so it's been a huge Ooh. thing but I have not seen if it has I'm surprised it's not available in Australia. I know it's I have not seen it anywhere so the other reason that I wanted this to be the book is because I actually think that you would like it it's a it's a the sort of book that i would recommend for someone who doesn't read thrillers um and doesn't like crimey things just because of the really intriguing way that it's told um and honestly when i read it i it's the first book in so long that you know when you pick up a book and you start reading it and then all of a sudden like three hours have passed and you're like oh my god like what you just and then you, you have to go to bed and you're trying to stay awake to read more of it. And you're like, I really should be going to bed because I've got to work tomorrow. But I don't even care because this book is so good. <laughs> and then you wake up and you go to work. And all you can think about is when you can finish work so you can read the book. Like, you know that feeling? It's just like yeah. peak. I love it. And it so rarely happens that you literally cannot tear yourself away from this book. Anyway, that is you know, the feeling that I had with this book. So that's why even though I read it in January, I'm recommending it now because it genuinely is so good. And I'll actually tell you the name of the book now. It is Wrong Place, Wrong Time by Gillian McAllister. So this book follows Jen, who's a mother to an 18-year-old son. It's like late October. It's actually the day the clocks go back in the UK. So it's like a weird time where you're like, oh, I don't know is it like midnight yet or have the clocks gone back or whatever? And she's waiting up for her son and she sees him walk down the road in the dark um, and she's like, oh, good, he's home. And then she sees him stab a man oh and God. she races outside and is like, oh, my God, you know, they're trying to help the man. The police come, he's arrested and he's going to be charged with murder. Her and her husband come back home exhausted. Um, she falls asleep. She wakes up the next morning and it's the day before. So the start of the day in which her son will stab someone at the end wow. of the day. And so the story unfolds like this going backwards in time. Um, and each day she wakes up further back in the past. At first it's just a few days and then it becomes weeks and months and eventually years. And the whole time she has to try and figure out why her son stabbed someone and work out how she can stop that. So she's essentially going back to the inception of the like domino series of events yeah. that will unfold into the future. And she keeps having to go back further to stop yes. it so that she can like undo the other things she's changed and all of that. It's not even the other things she's changing. It's just that the conception of this 
event happens so far back um, and it will make sense obviously once you read it it all comes together and you have there were a couple I think there are two or three moments where I you know that whole like put the book down and like oh my god like there's just it's it's really very cleverly written but I think the reason that I recommend it to non-thriller readers as well apart from the clever writing style is that a lot of it explores this idea of the things we miss when we're living in the moment and not in like not always in obviously she's looking for clues and things that are going wrong that she might have missed the first time but she also you know starts to notice like oh just a few weeks ago like wow you know my son's actually grown so much and or like he's changed so much and it's only been a few months or you know she skips back a year at one point and suddenly she's like oh my gosh like he's so much shorter and oh, wow, like I didn't realise this would be the last time that he wanted to do this with me or, you know, all these things that she only notices. And I think there's a character who says to her at one point, um, and it is in relation to looking for clues, but they sort of say to her, like, when you live in the, when you're in the moment, you get caught up in the emotion and you miss a lot of things. And it made me think, like, obviously, again, she's looking for clues to do with what's going to lead her son to kill. How could a a lovely, pleasant 18-year-old boy kill someone? Um, but it also just made me think, like, isn't that just so true of living in the moment in general? Like, when you're out with friends and you're having such a great time, there's so many little lovely moments that you miss because you're you're in the... And, it, and you know, you might be annoyed with someone or you might be angry with someone so you don't notice that, you know, your partner's cooked dinner or something and you don't fully get to be like, hey, wow, that's really that's really amazing because you're so in the moment of like, oh, I had a terrible day at work or whatever. Whereas yeah. going back without the emotion of what was happening on the day you can see and without all the other stuff, you can see that. Yeah. yeah. So I just think like those themes and obviously motherhood and how quickly that moves, but also just those themes that can apply to so many bits in our life and an intriguing plot and like a crazy good storytelling structure, make it something that is really like I can see why it's a Reese's book club pick because I do think it's something that has super broad appeal um but yeah it's just it was so good and I definitely am gonna she's got five or six other books um that are out and I definitely think now like I'm I know that I obviously read more thrillers than you, but I'm very picky with thrillers too. Um, And a bit like when I read romances, like I want them to have more depth than just like, I cannot do it. I can't do like a police procedural anymore. Like I just don't care. So I feel like her books are going to have that like depth that I'm searching for. There's something more there. Yeah. 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 Very So that's my book. So Wrong wrong Place, Wrong Time by Gillian McAllister and... She needs to be found more in Australia because, like, I'm just like, where is she in Australia? It's crazy. I just really, I really expected her to at least be like in Dimmicks, um, and I was really surprised that she wasn't. But you know, hopefully, hopefully, Reese can get her there. Yes, I think yeah. she probably can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if anyone can do it, it's our friend Reese. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and without further ado. Without any more non-bookish recommendations, uh, we will share the interview with you um, and let you hear all about the amazing, the amazing, wonderful book that I think we gushed about a lot, that is Who Can Play That Game.
Our guest today is an Asian-Australian author of Singaporean and Malaysian heritage who loves writing about the diaspora experience in contemporary and fantasy YA fiction. She started her career as an IT business analyst, which, let's be honest, kind of a little bit boring, um, but now has the very, very exciting job of an escape room creator, which is much more interesting and something that we're going to come back to later in the episode after we talk about all the bookish stuff. So we are going to come back to that. So she's designed internationally recognized games with her partner that weave unique puzzle mechanics with narrative, which sounds fascinating. She currently lives in Sydney for work, but Brisbane is where her home, family and heart, her cat, are. Us two, love that you're a Queenslander. That's great. Um, we are here to discuss her, her debut novel, Two Can Play That Game. Welcome to Better Words, Leanne Yong. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. It's such a pleasure to be able to just chat books and everything with both of you. Yes, and for the first time in like forever or ever on the podcast, we're going to be talking games as well. We touched on this a little bit with yes. Tobias Madden, um, who I noticed said some lovely things about the book as well. Um, so we are like, we did talk a little bit about that when we talked to him um, about Take a Bow, Noah Mitchell. But look, we're not... But we did mostly focus on musical Yeah, because theater, we're musical nerds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but this has all changed. And Caitlin literally sent me the text message saying, marriage has changed me because I'm totally like a gamer now. No, I'm not. Um, but my husband and I bought a PS5 on the weekend purely because he had an old Xbox, uh, an Xbox One from like 2015 that he bought in school. And we were looking at the Hogwarts Legacy game. And I was like, wow, it just looks so good. And then I noticed that it's not out on the old platforms until April. And I was like, do you want to? And he was like, oh, my God, you'd let me get an Xbox. Oh, no, you'd let me get a PS5. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> that is so, awesome. So, yeah, we bought that on the weekend. Um, but, you know, Caitlin and I were talking and she was like, this is, you're not like this. And I was like, now that I think about it, though, like, I loved The Sims when I was in school, like, loved it. Um, but it was all PC gaming. Like, I've never, I was never allowed a console or anything. Um, so, and I also had, like... And I was only interested in mine to play Sims stuff. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> So, yeah, it's just, like, funny. Oh, my, my one's DDR. I don't know what that is. Sorry. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. That's like this dancing game. It's like this dancing game. Oh, wait, with no, it's Dance Dance like Revolution. It's, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, I think it's Dance Dance Revolution. That's the one. It's still an arcade. Is this like a movie? I, when I was reading this scene in the book, Probably I was thinking several. of a movie, I think maybe with Lindsay Lohan in it. And I was trying to think what the. I was like, I'm having intense flashbacks to a movie scene. I don't know, but it is like the arrows on the floor and you're like jumping yeah, around. I swear there's a yeah. scene with Lindsay Lohan. Or someone of that, whether it's like her or like Hilary Duff, maybe. Like, I'm thinking like that era of movie. And I just had such nostalgia for it, reading about it in the book. So without further ado, let's let's stop crapping on about me buying a PS5. How do you describe Two Can Play That Game? How do you, like, what's the rundown of it? Yeah, tell us a bit about the book. <laughs> well, I think you pretty much given or have you given the blurb the blurb is everywhere but it's basically about an australian 
Australian Malaysian teen, Samantha Koo, who's, you know, she's just finished high school. She's in that in-between stage between high school and uni, and she's she's meant to go to uni on a scholarship, but she just wants to be an indie game dev. And so there's a workshop that will basically kickstart her career, but tickets are so hard to get. So she ends up in a little bit of a tussle with an auntie son, Jason Chua, over the last available ticket. He all but snatches it from his ha- from her hands, and everything kicks off from there. She uses the power of the Asian gossip network to, you know, pressure him into a competition, a fair competition, five games, five rounds, one winner, and off they go. So it's, you know, it's got, like, all the stuff I love. Like, you've got, you, there's a demi-main character. You've got the rivals to lovers, which I always, I am such a fan of personally. Oh, you yeah. know, write your own food and all that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then um, there's supportive Asian parents. Um, you know, two older siblings dealing with all the older sibling stuff. <laughs> um and lots of banter like okay maybe most of it is banter but still (laughs) oh yeah it's so it's so much fun and I found it like so much fun to read and as we've established already not into games at all so I was almost finished the book when I realized that a dev probably meant developer (laughs) (laughs) um I was just like I just somehow got so far in without really considering I was like it doesn't matter I'll just it's like when you read a fantasy book and you're like, I don't know how to pronounce that word. But it's in fine. a way too, like, I was like mm, because whatever. you do weave in a lot of um, Malaysian terms and stuff. But as you're reading, like, even though I was like, I don't know exactly what that means, but I can like, I, I'm getting it from the context yeah, and stuff. Like it, it's, yeah. yeah, it's like woven in. Yes. Um, so I feel like that with the gaming stuff as well. I like there's like, <laughs> I'm like, I pick it yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like the gaming lingo just kind of was in that area yeah. as well. Um, but obviously we've already discussed our incredibly lackluster experience with games. Speak to me next week, guys. You... Um... <laughs> <laughs> but is it fair to we'll assume... We'll you're a season gamer. <laughs> yes, I'm, describing, exactly. I'm describing Hogwarts um, Legacy as like Sims, but at Hogwarts, by the way. <laughs> oh, I think, I think that's, that's I mean, it's like it is, Sims anyway. like Red Dead Redemption, like, because there's a storyline, but you get to dress up your little witch wizard <laughs> and go and do stuff at Hogwarts. And walk around. <laughs> I assume you are a much more seasoned gamer, Leanne. Is that why you always, did you always want to write a book with games involved? I'd not really thought of it, Um, I guess, very seriously. I've always just played games. That's just been part of whether it's growing up or then, you know, getting really, really into indie games and all that kind of thing, spending way too many hours, whether it is playing stuff like Dance Dance Revolution (laughs) or some other rhythm game. Or just, you know, getting into 100-hour-long um, Japanese RPGs, that kind of thing. Um, I've just found that, yeah, I never really thought about it, oddly enough, in, like, the previous kind of manuscripts I'd written. But for this one, it came about when I think I was watching I was watching Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, and it's about these two teens who kind of, like, go around searching for a band. They bond over indie music, uh, this indie band, and lots of indie bands, actually, I think. And I was like, man, I have no idea about the music scene, but wouldn't it be so cool if it was indie games? Because, oh, boy, can I tell you a lot about them? 
And, and then my second thought. I was going to say, we are going to come back to you. You've had a really interesting journey getting, you've written a lot of other stuff before. This is just your, um, you know, debut published novel. So we are going to come back to that journey later. But I assume from, you know, what we read out in your intro as well, that you've tried writing fantasy before. So was that also something that you hadn't sort of thought about going down that route? Yes. So, I mean, it wasn't intentional, but maybe it's just how I write. I bounced, like, each manuscript would be like, okay, fantasy. Okay, the next one's contemporary. Okay, the next one's fantasy. And it wasn't deliberate. It just kind of ended up that way at, because I'd just be like, you know what? I feel like writing this now, so I'll write it. And then so not only did it bounce between fantasy and contemporary, it also bounced between YA and adult. So it was just this whole weird range of everything um, from the previous manuscripts. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's interesting that you say that about writing adult because this YA novel is set uh, one of our absolute favourite sort of time for YA, which is that post-high school um, and even better, also pre-uni time where, it. I mean, there's just so much to figure out for every teenager at that point. Like, was that time period always the setting or like were they at school in early drafts or anything was that always the time no the first draft actually started as having sam she's about to graduate from uni so she this was at the point where she was trying to work out what am i doing with my life i don't want to go into a corporate job i don't want to um you know work in an office and deal with all of that and it was at that point but then it's a bit of a hard that's almost a much tougher decision because like I mean, as many people do, you almost go like, do I just like waste my degree that I've just worked towards? Oh, that's a bit stressful. I'm almost glad it was before. Yeah, I think it added a lot of like different tension, different elements to it. Like when I aged it down, just because the voice was very YA still, like I am very, the voice has not changed that much since that draft. So it had a YA voice, but not a YA protagonist. And when you're trying to sell that, so when you go on submission to publishers, all of that, it's a very, very hard sell. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to to age. And it works. It works so well. Um, It's really wonderful, especially because you've got those two slightly younger characters, like at the end of high school as well. So I feel like if you are a Mm -hmm. younger reader still in high school, like there's still a lot to relate to looking forward to that as well or being in that older teen bracket yes exactly why why was it something that you wanted to explore in terms of the pressure and the expectation yeah and the like um family and cultural expectations as well that both like jay and sam are kind of getting different versions of it but still very similar yeah so i think it was just because I just wanted to write something, I guess, that was also similar to a lot of what I'd experienced, what I'd worked through. Um, Like, for example, I do also have the most incredibly supportive parents. And that was something that, you know, I hadn't really seen much in media in terms of like the supportive Asian parents. It tends to lean more toward the tiger parents. And I was just like, you know what, I want to kind of like widen the canon in this area as well. Um, and yeah, just really make it like, keep it lighthearted because I think especially just during the pandemic and all of that, I was like, I'm keeping this light. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but also just work through a lot of, 
I guess, the issues that I dealt with before, um, you know, and what does it mean when you have those societal pressures? How do they impact you? How do they, I guess, drive you in different ways um, when, you know, your parents aren't the one pushing you, but in the end, you end up pushing yourself, for example, that sense of, you know, that self-expectation. And I think that that's also, you know, relevant across cultures. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've gotten that sense of, you know, a lot of people are just like, no, 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 but I have to do better, even if no one's pushing me to and, you know, push themselves to the point of, well, it's not that healthy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And so with the cultural elements, I just really wanted to celebrate it as well. You know, like I don't see that much of Malaysian culture in a lot of contemporary YA. And I really wanted to be like, look, we have awesome food by the way um it's like yeah. i want to experience you know all this. Yeah, tell just, yeah. about the other things that you like included in the novels like i think one of my favorite ones was i think it's quite early on there's like a scene where sam's dad like makes her special eggs and where she makes <laughs> so that was actually not well a... with the with the two boys i was like i love yeah i'm so fascinated by this yeah. yes so uh, the special egg is actually not a malaysian thing that is actually very much I took it straight from my dad. It is actually a tribute uh, to him. Uh, <laughs> that's even better. <laughs> so he would used to make this for us and it was delicious. Like the recipe in the book is exactly how you do it. You can make it yourself and it's lovely. <laughs> it's literally soy sauce, vinegar, sugar. Um, make the sauce, throw the egg in. It's so good. The drink later on is, uh, yeah, it's a very Malaysian drink that's actually really hard to find here. And it's called um, Katsai Shunmoi, which is, I mean, that's a Cantonese pronunciation of it, which is basically calamansi limes, which are these like little round limes and the salted, kind of like dried salted plum. And they put it together into this really lovely citrusy, sweet and salty kind of drink and it's delicious um but again this is very much a case of make your own food it's not very common in restaurants at all <laughs> yeah no i i love so, that yeah like and just yeah. little elements yeah you really weave that in so nice like it like you said it does feel like a celebration of culture as well and you're so right like so many of the portrayals that we if we do see them in media are more towards negative stuff but I loved the parents in this. I really did. And like, I could really empathize though with like all the pressure that Sam thought she was feeling or like was sort of getting from them. But the, there's a point at which they have a big discussion and it's just so, it's so lovely to read them all sort of getting their feelings out and, and kind of saying like, you know, this isn't, hopefully this isn't too much of a spoiler, but to say to her, look, you know, you might think that, but we, we could never be disappointed in you. And I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. Like, you know, it's just such a lovely, like the family relationships in this are so wonderful to read. And it, it was like, it was such a joy to read. And I almost like sometimes like would forget that like there's this competition going on between the two of them because I just really got into the story oh thank you yeah I definitely wanted to portray them as look they have their own issues and yes her parents still have their issues with you know what she wants to do but they're not going to be like absolutely not don't you dare they will try and guide her in their own way which includes telling her look 
yes, we will support you. We will not be disappointed in you, even if we think you're making a really big mistake. <laughs> yeah, but like, it's it's so like nice and reassuring to to have that, because I do think, like you said, even even across different cultures, I think that's a nice reminder for people that actually that's how most parents would feel, even if they don't ever say it explicitly yeah. mm. to their children. And actually, like I know she has that realization of oh, they, they just feel that way because they want the best for me and they don't kind of understand. Like, to them, that's... And I think that that's just a nice thing to include as well to sort of prompt maybe teenage readers to kind of consider that, like, maybe that's where their parents coming from as well. And, like, I definitely should have... Yeah. I, I would have benefited from reading that when I was a teenager, let's just say. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> but, God, yeah, man. I think, like, it also comes from, as I get older, I'm just like, oh, okay, I'm relating more and more to the yeah. parents. Here. Yeah, like, every year oh, when it comes yeah. around, like, I mean... you know, grade 12 results time, and you're like, yeah, that doesn't matter. That really doesn't matter. <laughs> time comes yeah. for us all. Um, <laughs> but the while, like, the family relationships and everything are so wonderful in this novel but also sisters are really a major part with Sam and her sister Eva and also sisters being a huge part of Sam's game that she's working on all throughout the novel and is taking to the showcase right at the end and I just wanted to ask because uh, I saw that your own sister came to visit for the launch of Two Can Play That Game and I was like oh is this like a bit inspired by you and your own sister was it always important that like her sister's always a core element to the story yes so the two of them have always been a core element I guess reflecting the different ways that you could go when you're trying to straddle two cultures but also then how do you support each other how how does that dynamic then work when one is going one way one's going the other you're trying to meet somewhere while parents are also doing their thing and you're like Oh, but I also want to be the good girl. What would that? What was Eva? Was she starting year, yeah, year eleven? Year like eleven, picking senior subjects. Yeah, and then Sam's yes. just finished. Like, oh god, that's like the worst age for teenage sisters to be. They should hate each other, but they're pretty yes. good. Really. Yeah, they have a lovely. They have a <laughs> yes. lovely. Yes, and again, like there are so many scenes, like when the both families sort of run into run into each other at the at the restaurant, <laughs> and all the like both sets of siblings are at the one table and you know both the younger siblings are like oh yes let's mess with our oldest like it they just again it was like I was like I forget why I am reading this because I, I want to find out what happens with the game but I'm so immersed in this family and I could just happily spend so much time with these characters I just love that like it was yeah it was so much fun to be involved in that and to see those elements come to life yeah, I guess see them like wanting to, and I, I, you know, wanting to follow their own passions in different ways as well was really interesting. Yeah, so ironically, Ava being the one who's more towards like leaning towards that Western side of things, but also the one who's probably going to take a more traditional career path as opposed to Sam. And then Sam trying to reconcile that with how she's seen herself her whole life as the good girl, the one who's, you know, really being the good Asian kid who her parents are expecting and just trying to kind of like, where does that leave me if I don't want to when I'm, you know, what if I'm not a big success, which adds to the pressure of no, I need to be to then, you know, make that work. And it was really nice to have that to also bounce off the, you know, torture Sam a bit more. Sorry, Sam. 
God, it is so funny, Michelle, that you keep saying that you almost like forget while we're reading the book about the Ooh. game and the competition because Sam and Jay basically forget well, why yeah, they know each exactly. other and why they're having the competition <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's so it's so yeah, wonderful because you're like, I feel like I know where yeah, this is going, really and then the more you're like, yet. but yes, we I like where this him. is going. Like, yeah, and I like <laughs> the way you had their text messages interspersed as well. We love a we love like an interesting way to include that sort of stuff. Um, Let's talk about gaming, though, because obviously, as we've hinted at, huge part of the storyline here. It is actually the storyline, um, <laughs> despite me getting sidetracked with family. Um, so I think something that's kind of been on my mind basically since I saw my husband playing Red Dead Redemption and was like, oh, this looks really interesting, um, and then played it myself and was just like, oh, I'm just going to ride around my horse in the Wild West. Like, I loved it. Um, but I guess it's that thing, um, watching him play those games and stuff as well, made me realise a little bit more, you know, there's so many storytelling elements that are in games too, just, just like with a book. Um, so I'm so curious, like, when did your love of video games start and, and how did it develop? Oh, so I think it would have been when I was just, oh, maybe three or four I was literally using DOS which is like this like command line you're typing commands into the computer to you know get to stuff and playing these games on floppy disk like these little kitty games that my parents got which probably is like it shows my age <laughs> won't lie but I just definitely remember being like three or four and just like learning memorizing like okay these commands do this to get to the game and then as I grew yeah. older yeah, my uncle had like this computer just full of games. I'd go to my cousins and we'd play them. I'd go home, my dad would, he'd go on business trips sometimes and he'd just like bring back stack of games for me. And I got to like play a lot of those. I discovered one of my absolute favorite games early on, which was The Curse of Monkey Island. And it's like this puzzle game. Um, and that's still my favorite genre to this day. And it, yeah, it really grew from there. Like, I don't think I got fully serious until one of my cousins introduced me to a game called Final Fantasy VII, which is this really long Japanese role-playing game, but the story was epic, absolutely epic. And it got me into everything from fan fiction to online role-playing to all the things. <laughs> And then I was just like, games, games, It's opened all the doors. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's amazing how many communities, like, spring out of these games. And, like, Caitlin and I, being more on the bookish side of things, have absolutely no idea. Um, so it's so lovely to sort of hear you talking about them. And obviously something that I assume you would have to deal with um, and that we see in the book as well with Sam and her best friend, who's also into game development is basically like the shit that they have to deal with as women who like games what's your experience been like with that i have for the most part kept out of those spaces having seen everything going on there is a reason i don't play multiplayer online games especially ones where you're matched with random people because i have seen heard enough of the toxicity that happens there was this entire thing called Gamergate that went down and that was just, it was really, really terrible, like, for a lot of women in the gaming community at that point, um, where I think it was just, it, it kicked off with, you know, um, some stuff against a game journalist and 
there was just a lot, a lot of mess that would take way too long to go into here. But there's, yeah, so I think that, you know, for Sam wanting to get into there, I was like, I also want to reflect those elements. Like, she loves what she loves, but the community may not necessarily be the best. There are wonderful, beautiful elements. There are amazing women, guys, you know, everyone in between playing games making games all of that but it's just there are i guess really big pockets like when you hear about what it's like in a lot of AAA game studios um and a lot of the news articles that have come from that and the i guess machoism the misogyny at the top it's yeah i mean i didn't want to go too deep into it just because this is a lighter kind of book but i definitely wanted to at least reflect elements of that yeah and i think the elements that are in the novel like even when jay and sam first meet and she's a bit like oh he's gonna think i don't really care and you know all of the he's gonna think i'm not really serious about all this stuff or like when they are at the showcase at the end um of the novel there's a couple of interactions with a couple of the other uh bro yes developers (laughs) there um which is kind of enough and that like without knowing a lot about this world and everything, you know, it's enough that we're like, oh yeah, there's probably a lot of shit going on in that area. And that's something that Sam is going to have to deal with if she keeps going. Definitely. I want to ask about the, like the games actually in the novel. So some of the games that Sam and Jay play in their competition are based on real games. And you've got those at the back of the book. So people can actually go and play them if they want to, which is really cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> but um, a couple of them were still, like, fictional, and then Sam's game, um, completely fictional. So how was that to, like, write about, to, like, also create those games so, in the novel? Um, I think the main one for is Sam's game. That one's entirely fictional. But also, it came from, because many, many years ago, my best friend, who was a software developer, not making games, though, but she's a um, software engineer, and we were just noodling around ideas, throwing some stuff out, and it's like, but what if there was a game like this, or like this? And this was one of the ones that we just kind of threw out, talked a bit about, put aside, never really talked about again. And then I was like, you know what? What would you think if I just popped this game into the into the book? Not expecting how far the book would even go at that time. This was just a manuscript. I'd like been rejected on so many. I'm like, yeah. let's use this one. What do you think? And I'm like, at least, you know, we pay tribute to our game in some way, shape or form. You know, a game that never quite existed in some way, shape yeah. or form. But our idea lives on slightly. Yes. Yeah. And here it is. It's actually living on. And so it wasn't originally, I think, it wasn't originally about two sisters. That was for the sake of the novel to add a lot more parallels, thematic elements, all of that. It was originally, I think, like a father and son. And so, yeah, I took quite a bit of that, put it into the book. But then I also had to develop, you know, what does it look like? What does the game itself look like? And just adding bits and pieces in there. Thankfully, you can't actually listen to music in a novel because I'm not sure where I would have gotten music from. But <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or like, yeah, you can't see it or whatever. I suppose it must be, I mean, creating a game obviously takes a lot and a lot and a lot of work but um sort of partially creating one and describing it mm-hmm. for reading must be 
I mean, easier than actually creating a game, but still yeah, difficult. Yeah, I think surely. because we had like, okay, here is the core mechanic, which is like, you know, you move when you move on the controller, both of them move at the same time. I'm just like, okay, we'll work from that. Everything else, I'll just kind of work out as I go along, depending on what the novel needs, what the plot needs, <laughs> what the characters need. I'm interested to like, obviously they have to have the scenes where they actually play the games as well and you know having to describe them but you've got to do it like you know several times throughout the novel was there any difficulty writing wise in like keeping those scenes all like a little bit different from each other but also introducing enough of the game that you get an idea of what they're playing without being like too like this is exactly what the game is like. Was that tricky from a writing perspective? Yeah, so that went through quite a few iterations, especially with my earlier um, critique partners, beta readers, all of that, where it's just like, no, I need more information on it. And then after it's like, is there too much? But I was also trying to, I guess, keep it fresher because I wanted each game to, I guess, show a different element of how that relationship between Sam and Jay is developing. So, you know, at the start, you see Sam all like, oh my gosh, what's he up to? I have to beat him, whatever it takes. There's like that real stress there. And it kind of gradually moves on. I mean, the second game is a bit of just a, oh, Sam, what have you done to yourself kind of thing. <laughs> and then as they go on, you know, it, we, I wanted to use it, her experience to be like, oh, okay, Here's, you can kind of see how their relationship is evolving through their, I guess, interactions as they compete or, you know, even right after they compete and how that affects it all. So when I was writing those scenes, I just really wanted to look at, okay, what am I achieving with this gameplay? What does each, what does the, what do the elements of the gameplay show about the characters, show about the plot? What is the underlying motive for this scene? And that really helped a lot then in like weaving the emotions, the interactions, all of that through the gameplay itself. So that's always been, I guess, a thing for me, maybe because I read too much like um, anime, like watch too much like sports anime where, you know, every match shows you more about the characters and you know, pushes things forward. And I'm like, this is what, this is the kind of feel that I want to achieve with um, each of these scenes. Yeah, no, well, that makes sense because as they go along, like they're getting to know each other better and yeah, they're just like, the story is progressing with each game on each weekend as they like continue on throughout the competition and everything else that's going on in their lives. So yeah, that makes complete and sense. And I think actually. it, um, as much as it is a celebration of gaming as well, I think the way that you've done that means that it's super accessible to people like us who don't really play many games, you know, like it's still, yeah, it's because we'll just get distracted by the family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it just, I, and that's what, when I was reading it, I was like, I just are really curious. Yeah. From like a craft perspective, if it was hard, but I guess lots of edits, lots of feedback just to prune it down and make sure you're really like only showing what's, I mean, I, I know from doing stuff where you get so involved in it and you're like, oh my God, but every essential bit of this interview, like it's all, it all has to go in there. It's all so good. And, you know, I've got to the other side of a podcast project now and I'm listening to it and it's a bit short. And I was like, oh God, I don't want to put anything more in because we've actually, we've paired everything back 
to just what it needs to be. And I think, you know, obviously you've done that through multiple revisions and stuff is like those scenes, just you've got that backwards and forwards and the tension. So yeah, if people can't tell, we love the book, obviously. (laughs) Thank you. Um, That's a relief. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Did you have to do much research into like the, the indie game development side of things though to include like what sort of pathway Sam would have to go on and that's all we quite aware of all that stuff before you started I had some idea but I definitely because I am not in that world myself so I definitely had to do some research yes so um not being a game dev um one of the best things that I did um that I thought was really useful was I went to Penny Arcade Expo, which is like the biggest gaming convention in Australia. And they have this whole floor um, sectioned off um, where it's just a bunch of indie games on display and the developers are there with their um, all their stands, that kind of thing. And so I just kind of went around. I love that place anyway. I'm always like on the lookout for what's this cool new indie game? And then I maybe went and bugged them lots about so how did you guys do things what was it like for you what's it like getting funding and doing this and that and to their credit they were so lovely a lot of them answered a lot of my questions so many questions and I took away a lot from that there's also um, I think a number of for example gaming magazines that focus on indie games they've got interviews with developers all that kind of thing There's one I love called A Profound Waste of Time, which is almost like half art magazine, um, half gay magazine, which is... excellent title as well. Yes. (laughs) I love it so much because it sums it up so well. (laughs) That's incredible. So, yeah, a lot of research through that end. And, of course, my best friend who is a software engineer I could just be like so coding stuff you know what do you use to track bugs and do this and do that and just got her to just double check make sure that nothing seemed out of place so she didn't read it and go this is not how this works <laughs> oh I think there was one where it's just like she was tracking bugs through maybe a spreadsheet or something and my friend was like no, no 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 she would be using like some kind of online board like Trello or something like that and tracking it through there and I'm like okay Easy change, let's do this. I can do that. Yeah, great. And I've got a bit of a background in coding, so that has, you know, I've got some idea of how that stuff works. I wasn't going from scratch. Oh, God. Which, oh, thank goodness. Um, I absolutely loved talking about all this gaming and everything, Um, but I do want to ask, we do want to ask about your, like, a bit more about your writing and publishing journey. Um, Because, yeah, as we've mentioned and you've mentioned, you've had written a lot before this one, and before this one managed to get published. So tell us a bit about your sort of journey to publication, as we say. Oh, it was a really long journey to get here, I gotta say. Because oh. <laughs> I think, I mean, in high school, look, English was my worst subject, which which means, to be fair, it means that I got a B plus instead of like an A for the rest of my subjects. But, you know, we call it an Asian fail, but that's okay. They only count your top five subjects. Um, and so, I don't know, I don't think I really believed I could be one, like be an author. But even then, yeah. as my like little concession to myself, when I was picking my uni courses, my number six, you know, six out of six, I just wrote like, 
creative writing at the University of Queensland, knowing that I would obviously get oh. one of the ones above it. But, you know, it was my little concession to that. It was still so there's always option. been like a part of you that yeah. wants to do that stuff. You just were like, I don't think it's for me. Yeah, I don't think I'm good enough. Don't think I can. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just, yeah. we studied a lot of like literature with a capital L in school, and Boring. I'm just like, <laughs> I don't get this. I, sacrilegious, I did not get Shakespeare. <laughs> I know. Oh, that's not sacrilegious. <laughs> I had to study it at uni, and I was like, I what is this I don't understand it like I felt like I've never felt so dumb as studying that stuff at uni that was the feeling (laughs) (laughs) and so I think I started I don't know why when I started a full-time work then I was like well let me try let me see and I'd like be written bits and pieces and then decided you know what I'm gonna go all out during a NaNoWriMo wrote a terrible oh, terrible yeah. novel but i did it and i was like i completed something oh my gosh um i mean even completing like a manuscript no matter how bad it's a lot of words leanne that is a big accomplishment I, yeah i was quite proud at the time and almost like maybe maybe yeah. this is something that could be published it was not for the record <laughs> but... <laughs> I learned a lot more in like the next manuscripts because I think the one I wrote after was just literally ripping apart the original NaNoWriMo one, rewriting it completely. It was essentially a new story with maybe a bit of the core concept still remaining. And then um, I actually first started querying with that one, um, which did not go that well to no one's surprise. I, I was still finding my voice at the time and all of that, so it was just really stiff, not that great. Um, you know, the book after that was written just to prove myself, you can do it again. I promise you can actually do this again. This was not a fluke that you wrote a whole story. And it kind of kept going, and I keep going yeah. and keep querying. It would still not go well um, until I think number six was when... Oh, that one happened because that was actually me rewriting the original NaNoWriMo um, one novel, but with all the knowledge, all the oh. learning, everything I'd gained over the yeah. years. Um, and it was quite a different story. It was no longer like me, I am a special redhead, not like other girls kind of story. <laughs> she actually, you know, she was also like a, you know, fantasy Asian of the diaspora living in you know yeah. fantasy western renaissance italy culture and um all of that and she actually had friends like female friends and they were like super supportive and it's all about you know the community you build the community that supports you all of that i thought maybe that one would go somewhere because like that got me into a writing mentorship program it got i think on a on one of those Twitter pitch events, it got so much interest from agents. I was just like, this is it. This has got to be it. This is the one. It was not it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, so this this one that did finally get me, you know, agent book deal, all of that was one that I wrote in the aftermath of it all with this kind of like, 
this one's just for me and I'm just kind of really sad and I don't think I'll ever actually be good enough to get published. And I think you will see, or you would have seen elements of that kind of come through Sam, like some of that, like, am I good enough? All of those questions. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was gonna, like, I was gonna ask, you know, did you want to give up? And then did that also actually help in the end with, with sort of Sam's journey and determination and the path that she's on in the book? Yeah, I fed a lot of those emotions into that. Like, I was just calling it my therapy book to my friends. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I don't even, I don't know that this is this one's going to get published because at the time it was also like essentially in that kind of NA kind of space, new adult space, which mm. does not sell. <laughs> yeah. And But I was like, you know what, this one's for me. I'm just going to write it and see what happens and... I'm not expecting anything anymore. And wouldn't you know, that was the one that, like, it connected me to my agent through, like, another pitch event. Like, it didn't get anywhere near as many likes as, like, the previous fantasy, any of that, but it didn't need to, you know? It found the right person. Yeah. And then um, it went on sub for a bit. It did not do well on sub. At, in that age range, we aged it down, went on sub again, Alan and Unwin got interested. And so I joked that, you know, it went all the way around the world because my agent's in New York just to come right back to Australia. <laughs> so how do you feel now that you've actually got a book published? <laughs> yeah, it's done. It's in book it's in bookstores. It's like, also got the most events. gorgeous cover it's as well. It's there. It. The cover is incredible so i good. mean they put yeah. so much work into it like the cover artist lucy all of her art is just stunning and i was just like oh my gosh i get her art on my cover because she has such a sense of like dynamic movement and dynamics between characters i think because she's done a lot of like webtoons or um like online comics kind of thing and you can really kind of see that come through in the way she does the paneling the way she does the layouts of um images all of that and so i was like this is incredible. And then the designer as well, um, Mika Tabata, just everything like the interior book design, the way the cover came together, the back. And I'm like, this is so good. I love the colors. Look, I'm a big fan of the color purple. I'm like, it's got a purple spine. Oh my gosh. I know that sneaky purple spine, because like you look at the cover, like, you know, when you're holding it up on Instagram or, you know, people will see it, you know, around and things like that. And it's got, I mean, the beautiful yellow cover. And then that sneaky purple spine is so yes, good. Yes, it sets it off really so like nicely. It. <laughs> but yeah, like the cover was interesting because um, my editor, yeah. Nicola, was telling me like the process and how they wanted it to have, it still had to have that kind of rom-com feel, but they didn't want it too like pastely or anything like that because yeah. that's like, the, it doesn't fit the book. Yeah, because it's not adult. Yeah. It doesn't fit the book. I mean, yeah, you don't want it to look like one of those other sort of like TikTok rom-coms that is like yeah. around a lot. That's, yeah, because that's not, that's not what the book is and it would look too adult. But now that you've said that, you kind of can see that it's like the YA mm. version. Even almost. like the, almost like it's the back-to-back back sort of. <laughs> yeah, like the little oh, And so, yeah, yeah, I think they, they settled yeah. on yellow as that like really mm. nice kind of, in between mm. kind of it merges the two nicely because it's still bright it's still poppy it's still got the um yeah. really you know gamey kind of feel but it's still got the yellow yeah yeah it's not but it's not like pink or red and it or, doesn't yeah it doesn't well it doesn't like yeah like 
I hate it when it's like gendered books, but you know, boys don't always, so it doesn't firmly be like this book is for girls or this book is for boys. Like it, it, it can sort of appeal to both, which is great. (laughs) Yes. It's yeah. Like it's not like this dark blue video game novel or a pastel pink romance. It's yellow and it's both. Love it. Yeah. After all, after that whole long journey, was there something about, like, the publishing process that, like, what was the one thing that, like, really surprised you? And you were like, oh, this is how it works? Oh, okay. Like... For me, I think because I'd heard a lot of other stories from other people, and I'm sure this is other people's experiences at other publishing houses, it was just how much consultation I got at every stage of the process. And maybe that's just an Alan and Unwin thing. Um, but they take such good care of their authors. But everything from like, here's the cover. Do you have any thoughts? Here's the title text. What do you think of this one? Um, you know, I think even the interiors, the title itself, all of that, just how much they went back and forth with me, how much of my own thoughts and opinions they took into it as well was it was really amazing. I was just like, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really good and it makes sense, but you're, you're right. I think, like, as you were saying that, I feel like there is almost that illusion that they buy your book and publish it and you're like, thank you, <laughs> yep. and, like, have nothing to do with yeah. it almost, which is just not what happens. <laughs> but, yeah, I can yes. see how you'd be like, oh, thank you, I get to help, yay. So, yeah, it was very cool seeing, like, all the cover concepts and stuff for the first time. I was like, oh, and now it's really feeling real. Um, and I know, Caitlin, I know he's very excited to talk about this, as am I, but you have a very awesome job. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's, get let's wrap up with your very awesome non-author job. Yeah. Escape well, the rooms. one that does actually pay the bills so at cool. the moment, for which I'm thankful for a, a while. It was like, <laughs> ooh, okay, we are scraping by. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was just because I've always loved puzzle <laughs> games, it was kind of like a natural extension of that. And I got into it, I think, at a time when it was still really just starting the whole escape room scene in Australia was just starting to emerge and it's been a really cool job I mean I get to design and create and build games that people play through I get to watch them play through have a lot of fun in them yeah I mean for all that I like younger me swore I will never ever ever own my own business because that's too stressful you can never turn off you can't do any of that I was just like, okay, it's an escape room. Throw that yeah. window. We're good. <laughs> so your your escape room is in Sydney, right? Yes, it's called Next Level Escape in Sydney. I own it alongside my business partner, Aaron Hooper, who's like, he's this tech whiz. He's amazing at all that stuff. He's also very good at building. You know, he's very good at the physical side of things. And I'm just like, I do what I can. I'm learning as I go. I have learned how to use stuff like you know, like routers and lathes and drop saws and table saws, all kinds of things, you know, in the process. <laughs> and it's been... So how long does it amazing. take you to, like, put... How, how long does it take you to put the rooms and the puzzles and stuff together? Because, oh, like, you literally, like you said, you're, like, building them. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it really varies 
on the complexity of the build. Some rooms are going to be a lot simpler because, you know, by design, they're going to be, you know, the puzzles are maybe more modular. Things don't have to talk to each other all over the place. And just like you solve this puzzle and then, okay, some stuff happens. We're moving on. Next puzzle. And those ones, you know, you can maybe three or four months, depending on how outrageous you want to go with the set design as well. Some of them, though, if they're like much bigger rooms, it could easily take, you know, six months, eight months. I, I've i got like another friend um, who owns also owns an escape room in Sydney and she's taken like almost a year. I mean, her rooms are worth it, so worth it. But sometimes you also then have to balance the business aspect of, but we actually need money <laughs> to survive off of the business. Yeah, you need to have something open. I want to make the most epic thing ever. Thank you so much for chatting with us about To Complain That Game. It's been so much fun. Honestly, we could, clearly, we could talk about this for ages. It's such a, like, one of the easier books to have you on the podcast for because there's so many things to chat about. So much to talk talk about. about. Um, But yeah, if people can't tell by our over-enthusiastic ravings about it in this podcast, very fun to read. Um... So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Where can people find and follow you online? So you can find me on Instagram as she who writes things um, because I couldn't get Leanne writes. So I'm like, fine. (laughs) And um, you can find me on Twitter as Leanne writes. However, I'm not on there very much anymore after a lot of the stuff went down on there, but I'm mainly on Instagram these days. Um, But yeah, yeah, you can find me there. You can also go to my website, leanneyong.com. And if you sign up to my newsletter, you'll get updates as when I write my newsletters. (laughs) As they come. Fantastic. And To Can Play That Game is out now. So everyone has to go read it. Please, thank you. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at betterwordspod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.